This is gonna hurt. It's time, it's time for the Suffering, for the suffering Podcast. Podcast. Shakespeare wrote that all the world's a stage. We go through our lives trying to elicit emotions from those around us. Pulling tears, excitement, or laughter out of an audience is an arduous task. The job of any performer is to allow their audience to sit in front of them and forget their lives, even for the briefest of moments. To focus on releasing emotions that are created and not their own. To entertain is to create feelings out of thin air. There are many people who are born with a natural gift to entertain. Those that are willing to work their craft are more than just the life of the party. They are the lifeline to rescue you from a daily life and are the professional emotion creators. I'm Kevin Donaldson here with Mike Felice, and on this episode of The Suffering Podcast, we welcome Mike Marino to discuss the suffering of a veteran comedian. Mike is a true craftsman, and he runs out all over the world making people laugh at pretty much Italian jokes. Mike, thank you so much for coming in. <laughs> well, thank you very much, man. It's great to be here. Well, Thanks you know, for me it, over. and it's going to be perfect for you because Kevin hates Italians. Yeah. So I hate one. He, I hated him out, so much. I he's outnumbered one. here. <laughs> <laughs> my grandfather always used to tell me, "Never marry a woman with a vowel at the end of your name." Both me and my brother married Italians. So, oh, is that right? Oh yeah. Well, it's oh, like yeah. the Irish Italian thing. It's like you know they hate each other, but they're attracted to each other. I mean, my father was Italian. My mother was Irish. They got married. Divorced, married. You know, <laughs> I guess growing up, my father always said, "You're going to have to marry somebody just like your mother." Well, I've never been married. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> There's a very close bond between Italian men and their mother. I do know that. It's true. I wish yeah. my mother was still around this day. I, I, I have so many questions I want to ask her because if you think about it, uh, back in the day when you had a problem, you went to your mother and you said, "Mom, the girl don't want to go out with me. She don't want to come with me to the prom." My mother would say, "That's okay. Have something to eat." You'll feel better. <laughs> and it was like that all the time. My, I stink at baseball. That's okay. Have something to eat. You'll feel better. Mom, I got a D on my report card. That's okay. Have something to eat. You'll feel better. My, I broke my leg. That's okay. Just have something to eat. You'll feel better. Rub some salami on it. You'll feel, you'll feel See, better. On the, conversely to that, Irish people like, just walk it off. Yeah. Just walk it off. Before we go any further, let's give a shout out to our marquee sponsor. That's Toyota of Hackensack. We don't trust anybody, but we trust Toyota of Hackensack. That's why we buy our cars from there. So go to toyotahackensack.com and let them find you a car. Now, Mike, each week we take a question from our audience, try to engage our audience a little bit. And this one, I, I picked this one out specifically for you. It's by somebody who goes by the name Stillwater. It says, how do you keep it fresh? And what I, I, I'm assuming they're not talking about showering. I'm hoping they're talking about how do you keep your zest for what you do? Every day, fresh. <laughs> Still water, zest, and fresh. Sounds like a commercial for deodorant. <laughs> That's how I keep it fresh. That's how you keep. I was gonna. I was gonna say powder. You know, I keep it fresh with powder. <laughs> deodorant. What's that? I Nobody think that anymore. every day something that goes on in the world can help you keep it fresh. Mm. Yeah, of course. Just like everybody else going to a regular job. You start to get a little bored with your job. Maybe you don't want to go there on one day, and we feel like that, too, every once in a while. But once you get on stage, something uh, just happens in your body. You're ignited. You're ready to attack, and uh, you want to make everybody happy. So you can keep it fresh just by looking at the audience. There's always going to be somebody in the front row that has that angry face, and there's your challenge. You're going to ask them why are they so unhappy, and how come you don't like what I'm doing? What can I do to make you happy? And that's going to make it fresh for you, too, because you're going to do something to get that person to smile. And that's, that's, a, that's a tall order to ask of anybody. Change my emotion for me. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly. how you yeah. change my emotion. Think about that. That's, that's what a comedy show is. And that is a daunting task. Mm-hmm. Hey, make me happy. Dance, clown. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's a tough thing. Mike, what do you think? I mean, we've been doing this podcast. We're coming up on end of season two. We're coming up on our two year anniversary. How do we keep, how do you keep it fresh inside your mind? You know, you, you take every, I mean, with, with the podcast, you, you take every one as a new episode. You know, you, right. you don't, you, you try not to do the same thing you did in the episode before as you're doing now. You know, I, I don't know if I could relate that to comedy where, you know, if you did the same jokes every night that you went out, you're, your routine would become stale. Well, that's exactly what we do do. It's a routine to keep it from being stale. You add, subtract, yeah. keep, get rid of, come up with something new, bring back something from a long time ago, try it again. 
or you work the crowd. Maybe somebody in the crowd is going to say something re, uh, igniting me into saying something that I've never said in my entire life and, or an experience that happens to you that day. So, for instance, this last cruise ship that I was on, when I stepped on stage, the microphone didn't work. The guy in the DJ booth hardly speaks English. I asked him, is the microphone on? I thought he said yes. When I got on the stage, it wasn't working. So I had to look his way and tell him, hey, man, can you turn this on? Well, someone in the audience said, dumb comedian. <laughs> now, there's 300 people, and the first thing I hear on the first show is dumb comedian. And you got to be quick. And I'm Italian, and I'm from New Jersey. So I just said, did you just call me a dumb comedian? And I <laughs> stepped off the stage. Now, this whole entire audience thinks there's going to be a brawl. Two people in the front row actually got up and walked out. And I said to him, I'm kidding. Where are you people going? You, well, it's a comedy show. Their English wasn't good enough to get yeah. that. I'm just going to make fun of this guy. I'm not going to beat him up. <laughs> and they walked out the door. And I just turned to the guy and go, Dad, you just made these people leave. <laughs> I told you not to talk to me when I'm at work. Now the guy's part of the show the rest right. of the night. But I didn't know that was going to happen. You had to hone in on him all night. I, I had to because <laughs> half to. of me really wanted to beat the guy. <laughs> Why would you say that? But see, you have the opportunity to verbally beat people up. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, that's great. But you have to, those chops that you've, that you've come across over it comes with experience like you that you can switch like that and that's what does it for me that's what keeps it fresh for me is i'm always listening i'm always learning and we talk about the same things on here a lot you know prairie fire episode nine you know the, these are common occurrences that we talk in the show talk about in the show but each week we hear from another person we get a different perspective and i get excited like i tell everybody my anxiety goes so far down when the cameras go on the lights come on and it's action. That's when my anxiety comes in. And that's what I look forward to every week. It's almost like I, I, I would, I, I've never, I've been on stage once where, uh, with a comedian and that rush, that feeling, you're like, oh, okay, this is why I do it. You could tell how good he did because he was on stage once. <laughs> I'm not a comedian. Listen, I'm far from it. But Mike, you know, we've, we've had multiple discussions and I think, and, we have some mutual friends, and I think you're a wonderful comedian. I love your the avenue you take. Um, you're a New Jersey boy. We always like to highlight our own, but you're New Jersey's bad boy. And you're running for president, too, because you're going to make, uh, make, uh, make America, America Italian again. again. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Marino, you know, 2024. I, I said, make America Italian again. Somebody yells out, why? Was it ever Italian? I'm like, please don't look that deep into it. It's a joke. Relax. Enjoy. <laughs> Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? I uh, grew up in New Jersey. I was born in Jersey City. In a, in Weren't a, we all? I think Margaret Hague Hospital. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Marion section. Yeah. So was my father. Grew Ma up on Mallory the, Avenue, Williams Avenue. Grew up on the stoop, getting mm. beat up by the neighbors. <laughs> we finally moved to the suburbs out in Scotch Plains now. Mm. That's and where then, Dudley uh, Moore is buried. Scotch Plains? I don't know why I know that, but that's where Dudley Moore is buried. In know. Scotch Plains. Yep. I didn't know Dudley Moore was dead. Dudley Moore died of a brain tumor, and he was buried in Scotch Plains. I have no idea how I know that. Somebody's birthday just flew out of my head, but I know that. I mean, what? I didn't even know there was a graveyard that had people like that. <laughs> it's not a graveyard. It's someone's backyard. Huh. It's Italian up there. Come on. <laughs> oh, it's under somebody's house. Oh, now I get it. <laughs> it's under about a foot of concrete. <laughs> He's in the stoop. Yeah. But Jimmy Hoffa's up there, too. Scotch Plains, beautiful area. I love that area. It's a great town. I'm having a lot of fun being there. And uh, I guess when I was about five years old, I just had this knack of impersonating television commercials. I would watch a commercial and I'd repeat it to my family. And they'd think I was just a nutty little kid. Then when I got to be 13, 14 years old, I just started going to New York City auditioning for TV commercials. So I had blonde hair and blue eyes. And I would say M&Ms or potato chips. And I'd end up making more money than my father. <laughs> really? Yeah, and this so. is, this is you're talking what seventies? I, I don't want seventies. Seventies, that's uh, you know that's when comedy started to really because you, you had the mountain comics in the sixties and the fifties, and right. then seventies New York kind of blew up on the scene, right? Yeah, I, but I wasn't even part of the comedy wave. I didn't start doing stand up till I was thirty years old. I was already in California working as an actor. I never even thought I'd be a comedian. It wasn't something I set out to do. In fact, when people were telling me I had a flair to be funny, I felt 
kind of uh, offended. I'm like, man, I go to these theatrical acting classes, and you still think I'm funny? I'm trying to be a serious actor I here, did. and you're calling me. I'm trying to be a serious you call actor me a here. fucking clown. I'm funny. I'm funny how am how? I funny? I'm funny how? <laughs> What's so damn funny do about I, me? Do Tell I me. amuse you? <laughs> like a clown? Like a clown. I'm here to amuse you. But that the first time you got a laugh, was it was it a rush? You know what happened? I think I was 28, 29 years old. They had a comedy competition at a bar in Bayonne, New Jersey. It was called the Sunrise Pine Room. And all my Shorehouse friends from down the beach, I think it was like a Wednesday night during the summer, we went to this place to have some drinks, and they were having a comedy competition. And I think the winner one would win 50 bucks. I turned to my friends and I go, wait here, I got to go snag that 50 bucks. They're not a comedian. I'm like, I'm an actor. I'm going to play the role of a comic. Watch this. <laughs> so I went on stage and I talked about my mother. Ten minutes later, I had fifty dollars in my pocket. Now, were you were you a Belmar guy or a Seaside guy? Belmar, Belmar baby. Belmar. There you go. Belmar, 1986, Montego oh, Bay. All you North Jersey guys go to the shore. Everybody who grew up at the beach calls it the beach. Yeah, that's the, the, the that's the, the difference. You go to Belmar. You go to DJs. You go to Bar A. Yep. That's the difference. Between- Reggie's. North, North Mary's Jersey, husband's it's Mary's pub. husband's pub. <laughs> <laughs> Been there, done that. Now, you were making a living as an actor. Yeah, you were. And was it was it a lucrative career? Was it something that you sort of eked by with? Now, when I was a teenager, um, I'll give you this story. When I was eighteen years old, I was studying at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. You were not allowed to audition for anything or do any work as a Screen Actors Guild actor because. You were part of the academy. They didn't want you working until you graduated school. But one summer came around, and I knew kids with blonde hair and blue eyes. They were crashing these auditions. So I crashed an audition for United Airlines. I had to play a Marine coming home from boot camp. Fast forward, I booked the job, number one commercial of the year, made a ton of money. Uh, I couldn't leave my house without somebody saying, oh, that's Private Zaleski. I was nominated for a Clio Award, Best Male Performer in a TV Commercial, 1983. I lost to, uh, I forgot the guy's name, but they did the Dr. Pepper commercials when they used to sing and the dancing in the streets. Drink Dr. Pepper. That's right. I'm proud. That's right. right. And uh, for the next five years, I was making a lot of money. I actually bought a house in Belmont. I was going to say, so you dropped out of the, uh, you dropped out of your class then. Oh, I know. I got kicked out of school. (laughs) You weren't allowed to work. Yeah. So six months in, they saw the commercial, and I have, of course, I had to look like a Marine, so I shaved my head. And when I went to uh, meet the dean at a school, and she said to me, uh, are you Private Zaleski in that TV commercial? And I said, uh, no, I'm Mike Marino. I said, yes. <laughs> and she said, uh, pack your bags, you're out of school. I go, I was just nominated for a best male. Oh, we're not saying you're not going to work in the business. You just don't meet Academy standards. And I go, I just signed with the biggest commercial agency in New York. So although I was depressed because I got kicked out of my college, that was my college. Mm. I uh, went on to uh, make a great living. And then you find this ability. Well, you, I, I, I always say that comedians, although they are born because you have something, an innate ability to make people giggle, to make people laugh. You were probably always the life of the party. Yeah. But it's that craft. It's that crafting a joke. It's the timing. It's the punchline. It, there's so many mechanics and so many scientists, uh, so, such science that's involved into it. And playing off the crowd. Yeah. You're 100% correct. So when I was younger and I was just a class clown, I wasn't really thinking about what you just said. But when I became a comedian and all I wanted to do was just stand up, you do become a craftsman and a wordsmith mm. because I adhere and I listen but you have to rebuttal very quickly. You would have made a great cop. (laughs) Dead serious. You would have made a great cop because that's what you need when you're questioning somebody. You need that, uh, that mental ability in order on a dime to change because something just popped into your head. Well, oddly enough, when I started to slip in the industry in my late twenties, early thirties, and I wasn't earning a living as an entertainer, I taught comedy traffic school at the Improv in Hollywood. <laughs> they took comedians, sent us down to DMV. You studied the vehicle code book, and you taught a traffic safety class. But it was for eight hours, and you had to know the vehicle codes and what the people did wrong and how to correct it. 
but they wanted you to make it funny so that people could sit there for eight hours. Yeah. So sitting quite class, honestly, sitting in a class I for eight actually, hours is torture. I, yeah, it is torture. But if you got a, a comic right. making it funny for you, at least you can get through the day a little bit easier and enjoy it. Yeah, but the downside of that is people are breaking laws to try to go back into class. <laughs> you, <laughs> got entertained. Could you imagine? I don't think it was that funny. <laughs> but I remember that's the way I was actually cutting my teeth as a comic because you got 40 people for eight hours. They can't leave. And I would crack jokes, I would write jokes, and I would work the crowd. Hey, who are you? What do you do? What are you in traffic school for? And uh, and they're probably been... depressed to be in there, like, oh, i got to sit through traffic school. Sure, oh. they had to get there at 9 o'clock in the morning. They were ready to beat you up. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, what's really odd is that I actually know the vehicle code laws. So when I watch these videos today, when somebody says to a cop, I don't have to show you my license. I wish they would come talk to me because <laughs> I'll tell you actually what it said in that book. And I know it. And the thing is, it actually is the law. Correct. You do have yeah. to show them the license. Yes, you do. You actually signed the contract saying you will show it. Yes. So when people say to me, you know, you don't have to do it. I'm like, I can actually show you where the law is. What's it interfering with a governmental function? Correct. And it's it, well, the basic thing is, is driving is a privilege, not a right. Yeah, it's a privilege. Yeah. So. <laughs> so but that that ability to change on a dime all right yeah. that is the the makings of a of a good uh, a good police officer and there was actually a police officer and i won't say the department but i don't know if you ever heard of club soda kenny yes yeah. of course he okay. was the bodyguard for andrew dice, andrew clay. dice right. clay so he <laughs> how do you know him john fetter yeah i know, oh, john. I know john so so my father-in-law worked with him and i worked in a town right next to him so but john so John put out Club Soda Kenny CD, and apparently it was laced with, but he never used his real name. He, John, it was laced with like. Oh, you, you just real, use his real name, yeah, because he's he's retired now. <laughs> he's he's so his department fired him, and he I never seen this happen. Within three months, he had his full pension, full twenty five years, because he was right at the end of his career, plus a good payout because they fired him illegally. Because of that, he never once used his name. He never once did, did anything inappropriate. And of course, it's everybody took his words seriously. Like I'm sure they do with you. Like when you sit there and and you talk about the Italian lifestyle, somebody's going to look and say, "Wait a minute, that he's making fun of Italians." No, I'm making fun of myself. You know, right. so it, it's it was it was an odd thing, but they were wrong. And uh, John, <laughs> I don't know whether he's still doing. I haven't heard from him in a while, so. Uh, when I was in California, after a couple of years at the Comedy Store, I went on tour with Andrew Dice Clay. Mm. It was me, him, and Sebastian Maniscalco, who's now one of the biggest Italian comedians in the world. And I remember meeting Club Soda Kenny. He was always there. Yeah. That was Dice's guy. What was that What was that club in West Orange they always used to play? Rascals. Um, Rascals. Rascals. <laughs> Rascals. You had Bananas in uh, Hasbro Kites. I mean, yeah, Rascals. I saw. I actually saw... Uh, Andrew Dice Clay at Rascals in West Orange. Andrew Silverstein. Andrew Silverstein. Andrew Silverstein got his got his start on different strokes. That I didn't know. Yeah, he was on different strokes. Really? He was he was one of the bullies beating up Willis. As everybody <laughs> did. But yeah, that's that's where in Andrew Silverstein and he's listed as Andrew Silverstein. But so I heard something about Dice. Dice started as a true comedian and the Dice Man was a a skit, a bit. Mm-hmm. And people loved it so much that he just became the dice man. Was that something similar to you? Like you had your own personality and I'm sure you turn it up a notch on stage or is that who you are? Uh, interesting enough, when I went to the comedy store to audition for the famous woman who owned it, Mitzi Shore. Mitzi Shore. Yeah. Mm, I was doing impersonations. I was imitating uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone and De Niro and all the Italian actors that all the guys would imitate. Personate. So I went on stage and I did, now this is Rocky talking to uh, uh, Burgess Meredith and whatever. And so the lady said to me, you didn't tell me anything about you. So no. And I didn't pass. I went back, I guess, another three months later. And she said to me, I want you to tell me about you. Tell me something about you. And I went on stage and I tried to do some impersonations and a little bit about me. And she said, no, you're not telling me anything about you. And I stood there. Uh, am, I, am I allowed to curse on your show? Absolutely. You can say whatever. And I went just like this. I go, you know what, lady? I don't even fucking want to be a comedian. My friend told me to come here because he says I'm funny. 
The pizza in California sucks. The traffic sucks. This place sucks. I don't even smoke. And why is that guy looking at me like that? <laughs> and she goes, now that's you. And I go, it is? <laughs> and they signed me to the club. I've heard your jersey came out in you. Yeah. I've heard great things about Mitzi Shore that she was able to bring things out of comedians that mm-hmm. you didn't even know you had inside of you. Like she was a real eye for talent. Yeah. Is that is that pretty accurate? That's exactly what happened. I got signed to the club. I started performing there all the time. And then I guess Dice was working out, new, trying to make a big comeback. This is in the 90s. He was there every Sunday night. I was hosting the Sunday night shows, and my dad was in town. My dad was a big cigarette smoker. He was visiting me. Dice was a big cigarette smoker. They were in the parking lot smoking cigarettes. Uh, my father came into the club and he goes, your buddy outside said he's going to take you on tour. He's getting ready to do a comeback. So he's going to help you out. And I said, who are you talking about? And he goes, the guy outside in the parking lot, he keeps taking my cigarettes. <laughs> and I go, God, dad, I don't know what you're talking about. He goes, your friend out there with the leather jacket and the stupid attitude. <laughs> I go, you, that, that's Andrew Dice Clay. I don't know his name. <laughs> he just said he likes you. It's the guy. It's that's the, the way they were talking. It's this guy. So Dice comes over to me and he goes, you know, we're going to either call you the Golden Guido or you be New Jersey's bad boy. And I'm like, okay. He goes, yeah, you should wear a suit and tie and tell everybody you're the Golden Guido because you have blonde hair and blue eyes. We don't get to see them. (laughs) And then we went to Rascals in West Orange. Me, him, Jimmy Norton. Jimmy, Jimmy Norton. Norton. Jimmy, Jimmy Norton's, Norton's very funny. funny. Yeah, and uh, we did the show together, three of us. And Jimmy Norton and I ended up doing a movie called... Um, Crooks. Crooks. I, when I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen Crooks. Yeah. It's a great movie. It was a, an independent film. They wanted to get dice. They couldn't afford them. So they got me. No, he's too busy doing Jimmy A Star Norton. is Born. Wow. Well, <laughs> he's a legend. The guy's great. He's very nice to me. I, every once in a while when I see him, he's always like, hey, how are you? We had a lot of friends in common. Well, you touched on something, your, your parents. Now, your mother Was your mother around to see yeah. your, your routines? And, yeah. What did your parents think about what you're doing? Did they think, yeah, it's, he's going to work this out of his system? Of course, just yeah. like that. Yeah, He's, he's going to grow you, up and get a real job one you day. You could always work for your father, Michael. <laughs> you could work for your father. He's got a nice construction company and make a nice living. I love the when, accent. When your you father. Think, your father. You, when do you think you're going to give this up? But but if you had a bad show, your mother always said, "Don't worry, here's a sandwich. You could eat it." You know, you know. <laughs> Good for you. That's a nice callback. No, my mother would come to shows and say, "I think you're cursing a little too much." <laughs> and why are you making fun of me? Enough. <laughs> well, did, did she ever see Dice Clay? That I mean, talk about cursing a lot. My mother and father came to see Dice when we were in West Orange. In fact, when my father showed up, he, Dice was hugging my father. He loved my father. A lot of people, you know, how Dice would smoke and do what he did, but I do this little thing about putting out a cigarette. That's actually impersonating my dad. My dad was the type of guy who smoked so many cigarettes that I don't think he even realized it was in his hand. But if he was talking to you to make a point, he had to finish uh, a hit on the cigarette, put it out, and then talk to you. So if you said, Dad, how's the weather today? He'd go like this. It's good. <laughs> so now I do it in my act. And now your mother's behind him going, Mike, enough with the comedy thing already. Yeah. Enough, enough. But that's nice that they got to see you. Did they get to see a little bit of your success? Oh, yeah. They yeah. seen my, the awards. They saw the commercials. They saw people show up at my house. Hey, is Mike here? Um, they saw me film uh, four different comedy specials. They saw me in front of thousands of people. Uh, one of the biggest specials I ever filmed, my mother and father sat next to uh, Danny Aiello and his wife at the Paramount in Asbury Park, 1,700 people. I was just down there this weekend. The last Don Paramount. himself. Yeah. 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 I, I, I've seen him a couple times around around the area. You know, you, you're in a restaurant. I'm like, hey, there's Danny Aiello. Such a nice guy. You know, and, and that, that was it about Danny Aiello. He never acted like he was Danny Aiello. Yeah. You know, he just, he was a regular guy. He'd just show up at a restaurant and eat and people go over, hey, Danny, how are you? It's like, hey. Yeah. I think they were afraid to ask down, him. Down to earth guy. I think they were afraid to ask him, why did Hudson Hawk bomb so much? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's good though. And at some point, did your parents accept that, okay, my son is, my son's there. They got, it's got to be a sense of pride for them. You know, every parent wants their kid to succeed. They yeah. don't want to see them fall flat on their face because it hurts. It hurts real bad. Now, you've stepped on stage so many times. Was it early on in your career? Was it a success? Was it a modern um, a modicum of success? But I'm sure that there was some bombs. I'm sure. 
You wouldn't be sitting here if there wasn't. Yeah. Now, explain to our audience what that feels like when you go up on stage and it's just not working. If I was to say today to any up-and-coming comedian who goes out and bombs, I would say enjoy it, embrace it. It's the greatest feeling in the world. It must suck, and you think it's going to be the worst thing. I give anything to go back to being 29, 30, 32 years old, having absolutely no idea what I'm doing, not getting any money, not getting paid, um, having a cup of coffee in a room filled with comedians waiting to tell five minutes of jokes. I miss it. I used to be at the comedy store every Saturday night. I would go on at two o'clock in the morning in front of people sweeping <laughs> and it sucked. <laughs> and the but, other people were all drunk. But guess what I learned how to be a good comic because it's like going to the gym and you're pumping the weights, you're pumping the weights and you're pumping your weights. You don't look good. You don't look good. You don't good. look good. All of a sudden, seven years, you got the greatest body and you're powerful. So all those years of bombing in front of nobody, now, all of a sudden, you're going to get put in front of a thousand people. You're going to be a killer. Mm. You're going to be a killer. And then the jokes that were bombing for so long start killing. And you're like, I wonder what it was. Just a word of a joke changed could turn it into the greatest thing you've ever said. Mike, did you see Did you see Mike's face when yeah, he started did. talking about that? Like, your <laughs> eyes like just brightened lit up. Yeah, yeah. You're like, your <laughs> eyes just lit up. <laughs> it was, that's, that's how I know you love it. That's and I've I've seen a couple of different comedians like that. I've done a bunch of different uh, talk shows where you go on the show and you perform, and then when you're done performing, you'll sit, you and sit you on talk the couch, to Jay yeah. Lano or whatever. And um, when I did this show, Comics Unleashed. Oh, I thought you were going to say the Suffering Podcast. But okay, we'll, we'll sit on the couch we'll, after this. Like, and we'll then. go with Comics Unleashed. <laughs> when I went on Comics Unleashed, I had waited a year. I felt like I was going to be the only comic they were never going to put on the show. I'm like, why don't they put me on? Well, my friend started working there, and he called me up, and he goes, come do the show. And since I'm new here, you better hit a home run because I had to go out of my way to get you on the show. I go, I'm going to hit a home run. Don't worry about it. I know what to do. So when you tape certain shows, they, they fake a lot of shit. They, they make the audience yeah. applaud. They've been there all The guy with day. the applause sign in the yes. front. Yeah, yeah. He's the, the warm-up poster going, come on, come on, <laughs> folks. You know, one more show, one more show. It's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Nobody's been drinking. <laughs> so I'm on the show, and they said, this is the last taping. Everybody's really, really tired, so you better bring it. And that's when I said, you know what? I'm going to do this joke about being the first Italian president, and we're going to whack Osama bin Laden. And that's going to be the joke. So when I started the joke, I felt the audience start cheering. <laughs> so for the first time on this show a comedian got out of the chair and stood up and that was me and i pretended i was putting out a cigarette and i said osama i want to talk to you about something the audience just i've seen this bit nuts i've seen this bit on youtube yes well, you, like what happened to osama milan don't worry about it yeah, we, don't, worry, don't <laughs> steal worry. the rugs <laughs> and the funniest thing is i didn't think much of it i just felt like i did a great job and then I started getting all these phone calls. Dude, you're viral, bro. You're viral. There's millions of people. And he started getting all these phone calls. You come play the theater. Come play the theater. And, and I'm just like, damn, yeah. Who knew? Is that your, like, I made it moment? Well, you can have an I made it moment a lot of times. Because I don't think there's ever going to be in my life that moment that I say I made it. I made, and I, I don't really have to try it. anymore. Yeah. Because I'm never going to stop. Well, that happens to a lot of comedians, okay, where they make it and then their their sophomore year, like they're, you figure they make it and they're, they're big and then they come in with their second comedy album or their second special and it's kind of like, eh, eh. Yeah, I, I'm not going to let that happen. I always want to be uh, growing, mm. you know. I've done four specials. They've all been sold in stores. They've all aired on television. But I want to do another one. And mm. hopefully when that's done, I'll do another one. I want to do a sitcom. I want to do a movie. You know, I love being in this business. I'm not going to stop. Is, is there a lot of pressure behind it? You know, like where you have to go out, you ever feel pressure before going on stage saying, I have to be funny. I have to make these people laugh. Yeah. Or do you just I, I, go up I, confident saying, I know I'm going to make these people laugh. No, I was taught a long time ago by Armando Sante. He mm. came to the acting school and he said, uh, here are the tools that you're going to need to be in this business. A suit of armor because everybody's going to poke at you. Uh, very thick skin, a survival job, and uh, the attitude that everything you get, you should be very thankful for, 
and always be nervous when you're going to perform. Because when it comes to live performing, if you're not nervous, that'll be the night you bomb because you're too cocky to be nervous. So I'm always nervous. I'm always saying to myself, oh, no, I hope, I hope, I hope. And I will never take what I do for granted. So even if there's a night where I don't want to get on stage, I will make sure I bring the mustard. You know, Armand Asante has my favorite line in all of movies. That's why I respect the guy so much. And I watch a lot of, I watch even movies that he does now. I still watch it. When he was playing Gotti, number one, he grew up in that area. Like, so he, he did that research. He knew that character really well. But he's talking to uh, Anthony Quinn, who was playing Neil Delacroce. And Paul Castellano, the guy playing Paul Castellano, just became boss. And he goes, this guy, he squeezed the fucking quarter till the eagle screams. And to this day, I use that line when somebody's being cheap. Right. But I, I have a lot of respect for that guy because th- he's a true craftsman at what he does. He really immerses himself in those roles and you believe it. Just like I I believe when you get up on stage that you're going to go out and whack Osama bin Laden. Right. You know, that's, that's, a, that's part of that actor in you, I think. Yeah. I think. But there are some downsides to comedy. You know, well, I, yeah, I was going to say that too. Depression is big in, in comedians also. Yes. Richard you know, Jenny. Rob, Robin Williams. Yeah, Rich, Richard Jenny. So the story I heard about Richard Jenny is he always wanted to do movies. He never wanted to, but he was supposed to be one of the best comics ever. And I've watched Richard Jenny specials. He was very, very funny. And then he goes and does what he does. Yeah, shot himself. Yeah. Yeah, is that all part of the pressure put on you, do you think? Yeah, because uh, we always have to look for work. You don't get a job and you're going to work there for 30 years. Yeah, it's not like you're you getting up at 9 o'clock in the morning saying, oh, i got to work today. Right. You got to look, shop, hope, beg. It's it's not easy, man. You could be the best and you could be uh, nowhere. A lot of comedians quit this business. There's only like, let's say, the top 100 comedians actually earn a living. And then there's others have this as a part-time job or a hobby. This is not a hobby. So you can get very depressed and Let's suppose and I'm out on a cruise ship and everybody thinks, wow, what a life. Yeah, well, I'm by myself. So at night, yeah, I'm with everybody. We're having fun. During the day, they're all coupled up. I'm by myself. <laughs> I go back to the cabin by myself. Yeah. But that's, so the travel portion of it. And I wanted to get into the travel portion because I always thought that's where the depression of a comedian comes from. Because when I, I, was, I was in a job where I traveled coast to coast, living out of a suitcase four weeks out of the month. It's a lonely existence because unless I'm in my own bed, I'm never off of work. You, you know, like I'm always working. That's, and it got very lonely. Does that happen? You get lonely, you go into your head and you start creating, uh, what do you create in your head when you start thinking about the way things could have been, should have been, why am I not there? Uh, the jealousy, why is that comedian got that and I don't have that? Uh, that guy took my joke. How come he became famous? What happened to so-and-so? Uh, there's a a powerful uh, depression that comes from jealousy. You know, you, you bruised ego. Could it be like I, an I, insecurity thing? Well, you got to be somewhat secure to actually get have the balls to get up on a stage and say, I'm taking you all on the ride and you're coming. Oh, that's gigantic yeah, balls. You know, make no bones about it. Because I... I that's the one thing I know. I have the confidence. Well, I will slaughter you. And if you get up and go to the bathroom while I'm performing, you might as well just kill yourself. <laughs> no, there, there's been so many times I went to a comedy show and held in my piss for Hold fucking on hours. Shit. Oh, fuck you, you, you want up. another beer? No. no I <laughs> and, uh, I'm full. I knew Richard Jenny. I used to see him all the time. The guy was a legend. Yeah. yeah. He did 12 or 13 HBO specials, all completely different. He was probably one of the top Italian comedians, if not the top Italian comedian. Uh, him and uh, I used to see him all the time when I was coming up at the Laugh Factory. And Dom Irera, who's still around, he's a good friend. They were friends. Dom Irera is hilarious. Yeah, he's the best. Yeah. But Richard Jenny, I guess he was going through some depression. Uh, he did do that TV series, The Platypus Man, if you remember. Yeah, I remember that was it. His show. And The Mask. He, he was in The Mask. With he was in Jim a Cameron. lot of projects. He was worth millions of dollars. But I saw him at the Laugh Factory one night, and he was talking to Dane Cook. You know who that mm-hmm. is? Oh, yeah. And Dane Cook at that time ended up selling out all the staple centers throughout the United States, 
through MySpace when MySpace was the big uh, internet giant, if you remember this. And they were talking, and I remember looking at Richard Jenny, and I'm saying to myself, he's jealous. He's jealous of this Dane Cook guy who kind of came out of nowhere, but he didn't. He was working for 20 years before he hit. And then uh, I think it was five days later, and everybody at the Laugh Factory was talking about how Richard went home and said to his wife, oh, no, his girlfriend, you know, go in the room, make some breakfast, and he shot himself. Dane Cook, Dane Cook was on a meteoric rise. Yeah. Like he, it seemed like he came out of nowhere, but you said he'd been working for quite some yeah. time. Boston guy. But he went, he went so high and flew too close to the sun and, you know, his eventual, I think his brother stole all his money or something like that. Stole a good portion of his money, $11 million. How do you embezzle $11 million? It was his half brother, but still. Yeah, out of your family. And then, That's because he wasn't Italian. Or anybody. If he was Italian, that wouldn't have happened. No, it wouldn't have. How do you know people are, you know, how do you not know people are embezzling them $11 million That's true, you know, too. That's... How do you not know? I mean, you, I know when somebody took $5, <laughs> $11 million, even if it was $2 million, a million, a half a million, how do you not see it? What are you not looking at? Uh, you know, you, I guess you surround yourself with the wrong people. And um, I know there's a lot of comedians who do that. They They, they get famous. They get the hangers on, and people are giving them bad advice. It's I call it the Elvis syndrome, and I'm going to throw an Elvis. See, see how it works. <laughs> Elvis. It's the Elvis syndrome that you become so big, no matter what you put out there, it's going to be funny because people are going to laugh. Hey, you know, you ask your friend, "How was that set?" It's great, Mike. It's great, Mike. Even if it wasn't great, you know, it's the Elvis syndrome. Nothing is oh, real. People kissing ass. Yeah. Do you see that a lot, and especially after your? After your specials or something like that, do you just get some hangers on? You get hangers on, but uh, I really don't have anybody in my life or my team that kisses ass. They all just say, hey, let's go to another level. And, you know, people behind you, like agents and managers, I mean, 90% of them could be full of shit most of the time. I was going to say, what, what, you get any, all the work yourself. Any of your people tell you you suck after a show? Are they like straight um, up with it? Some people might say, hey, that wasn't your best performance. Yeah. Something like that. Try not to be rude. <laughs> but you, you, I'm sure you felt that when you were on stage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There are some nights in your own head, you're, you're having a conversation with somebody else. And while I'm performing, it's just on automatic pilot. You could tell. I think people can tell when it's on automatic pilot for me because I'll just do a routine and keep on going. Right. Some shows I'll just keep on going for an hour and a half, an hour and forty-five minutes because I'm having fun and I'm making shit up. You better not do that to NJ Pack this weekend. I really don't know what I'm going to do because <laughs> I have routines that I could just get away with and I'll make everybody laugh. But when you have a show like this that makes no sense whatsoever, three governors and a state senator as the opening acts, I don't even know what they do. I don't even know how they got on this show. Usually have an opening act. He works the crowd. Everybody's in good. And then Mike Moreno. What the hell are these guys going to do? I know one of the guys there has a very good sense of humor. Right. I know one of the, what was it? The accidental. He wrote a book called The Accidental Politician. That's all I'll say. Oh, really? Yeah. That's... Well, I know John Bramnick. He's funny as crap. Right. I love the way he works. I've done many shows with them. But it could be really cool because, you know, I'm going to go into this whole thing about running for president now. And I've been running for 16 and a half years. I really deserve to be the president. I'm going to be the first guy that you could vote for many times, not just once. <laughs> this type of thing. You could be the Lyndon LaRoche of comedy. Well, I don't even know who that is. Lyndon okay. LaRoche ran for president for like 40 years. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah. He was always on the ticket. Even He went to jail and was still on the ticket. Oh, okay. But under one of those parties and stuff. So you got to realize something about Kevin. He's got a wealth of like useless information. Well, that and, uh, you know, if I could t monetize that somehow, man, I'd be, I'd, I'd have a monetize. lot of money. It's monetized. I'd love to do the whole thing for the rest of my life. I think it's funny. I love coming up with stupid gags about what I would do if I got into the White House. You know, you know, that's another thing I wish my mother was around to hear because now I brought her into the, the mix of what I'm doing. And I says, you know. Since I've never been married and I have no kids, the first lady would be my mom. Besides, I want her to come and, you know, take care of things because I got to eat. You get rid of those of... chefs in there, the food testers <laughs> yeah, and stuff. Yeah, you know, that's how I'm going to fix the deficit. Like, I don't need three chefs. I just bring in my mother. She doesn't need to get paid. She just wants to room. I'm already saving America money. And then I want to get rid of the pilot. I don't think Air Force One needs to have a pilot. 
I can do it. <laughs> you have a bunch of cheese hanging from the uh, from the ceiling in the White House kitchen. <laughs> it used to be Air Force One. Now it's Gabagool Two. <laughs> <laughs> How much fun would that be? I want to do a routine there. Uh, uh, JFK Airport. Yeah, this is the president. Listen, we're on our way in. I know we weren't on the schedule. I forget. Take the plane for a ride. <laughs> Uh, get as many fire rangers as you can ready. It's going to be messy. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm flying at the Newark airport because I got to go over to like, uh, you know, the, the Gabagool store up in, uh, up in Newark, you know, See, so, yeah. we, we, I, I can take that. I'll make that a joke. We, oh, we, yeah. we, we, we weren't scheduled to land, but I'm really in a mood for Gabagool from, you know, Jose's deli over. In the- <laughs> Mr. 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 President, um, you're not on the schedule. Yeah, I know. But I was really hungry the other night. We were smoking this weed. You got to smoke this weed. It's really, really good. And I don't know if you've ever been to Washington. Their cold cuts suck, man. So uh, clear the runway. We're on. I had to get out of Washington. I got to go back up to Jersey where the cold cuts are good. Clear, clear the runway. It's going to be messy. <laughs> it would be. It would be an interesting presidency. I think you should. Maybe the world would have more fun. Well, that's the whole thing. Okay, so you take emotions out of the ether and you put them into people's hearts. Somebody who's having a bad day, maybe they're they're getting dragged to your show and you that's an amazing thing that you do and it's a talent and it's a craft that you're able to create change emotions like we said early on. And I I don't know how comedians do it, but you do it in a cerebral way where you make them think where you were just talking about the Air Force 1 like Huh, how would that work? And that's how I'm thinking. I'm like, how would that work? That would be pretty good. That would be pretty funny. You know, and that's that's yeah. part of your talent. If you remember a long time ago when we were in on so many different wars, uh, the comedians from L.A. were doing the USO comedy tours. Yeah. And that's when I started coming up with an Italian president because I got to go see all these teenagers at war, never going to leave until they're done with their terms or whatever it is, a couple of years, right? So we entertained on this aircraft carrier. There must have been 5,000 Marines on this aircraft carrier. And just like the whole Bob Hope thing, we got out there to entertain. And there was a time where, if you remember, they said uh, uh, France didn't want to help America in the endeavors of the whole Osama bin Laden thing. So I walked up on stage and I go, you need me to run the country. If I was running the country and France didn't want to help America, I'll cut the head off the Statue of Liberty and I'll send it back to France. I said, don't mess with America. And these people just started screaming, right? But I was making that up then because it was happening in the yeah, news. That's pretty damn good. That it's cool, good. That's right? That's pretty damn good right there. And then it, there was also another thing where they were saying that some of the uh, the American stealth bombers hit the wrong targets over some area, right? And I And I go like this, you know, that might be true, but... You got to get a guy like me to drive one of those planes because if, you know, if I hit the wrong target, they'll say, Mike, what happened? I'm like, ah, the wind took it. <laughs> you know, I went to the left. It went to the right. What do you want from me? <laughs> Give it the old, forget about it. <laughs> and the thing is, these people are just screaming, hmm. laughing. That's got to be a good it's, feeling. It's yeah. silly. But that's got to be a good feeling to you. That's got to fill you up. It does. And I was doing this whole thing about friendly fire. I says, you guys are talking about friendly fire. If I ever got shot in the ass by somebody, I'd be like, what kind of friend are you? <laughs> that ain't friendly. you say you were my friend? I'm bleeding. <laughs> a lot of overhears. Oh, I'm bleeding over here. Yeah. Uh, but you've, oh God, I don't even know where to go. You just got off a cruise ship too. Yeah. And is that sort of like a mini vacation for you or you is that a work? That's a work thing. It depends on what ship you go on. Some of the ships you have to do a show every night. Some ships you do two shows every night. Some you only do two or three. Some you could be in front of thousands of people. Some you can be in front of just a couple hundred. Uh, it's a job, but you do get to see the world. I've been all around the world. So this last ship that I did went to Costa Maya, which I love to go. You see the Mayan ruins, mm. and um, you go to the beach. You go to the Coco Cay Island. You go to Cozumel. And I can come up with jokes on the island and bring it back to the ship and I'll do those jokes on the ship. They're not going to work probably Saturday night, but I was thinking to integrating them just a little. So one of my favorite jokes, and I tell everybody, this is going to be such a killing joke. You can't put anybody else on stage after me. (laughs) The ships sail through the night and in the morning, the captain comes over the loudspeaker 
they wake you up with these three beautiful chimes and the captain talks about what the ship did during the night, which to the average person, you really don't care. You feel like, oh, could you shut up? I got a hangover. <laughs> Stop talking. So what I do is I say, but how much more fun would it be if it was me? <laughs> but it's three o'clock in the morning because I'm still out partying and I wake everybody up and I go, hey, everybody, listen, uh, I kind of fucked up. We were supposed to pull over. <laughs> I was talking to this girl. She was calling me captain. <laughs> and the audience just starts screaming because, like, the audacity of this kid saying And it makes them laugh. So the, I know the whole next day when the captain does come over to loudspeaker, everybody in that room's going, wouldn't it be cool if wouldn't we be... just heard him just <laughs> once? We would crack up laughing. Good you, way to start the day. You yeah. should have worked it out with the captain when you did wake one up one day. morning and said it. Hey, uh, hey, it's uh, me, Mike Perino. Yeah, you listen, uh, I don't know if you notice. <laughs> that, that's the way I do it. But, Anybody seen a captain out there? <laughs> I fucked up. I love that. I, I fucked up. up. I, I know we're supposed to be in Cozumel, but I think we're down by the Jersey Shore somewhere. <laughs> that, that's kind of like what I do. Now, when you go on these islands, people buy things for their friends back home everybody's selling t-shirts everybody's selling cups and mugs and shit and there's uh this one place that sells marble tchotchkes like you can get a turtle you can get some kind of a bird all these things that you bring home to your friends and family to give them a gift right well they have marble penises <laughs> and i saw them in this place so i had to talk about it in front of the audience and you don't it you would think it's a pot pipe or it's but it, I think it's a paperweight. It's a it's a it's a penis, right? It's right there on the table. It holds your papers down. So sitting up like this. I said to the audience, I go, you know, me being me, I had to go in there and I said, Excuse me, uh, you work here? Listen, how much for the penis? <laughs> you got anything bigger? Is there a bigger one? <laughs> and then you go, How do you get it through customs? <laughs> What's the who's this for? Well, I got this friend, Kevin. Got, he needs a paperweight and his papers, they're always flying. So I brought home this cock for him and I said, you know, why don't you just put that there? Looks good in your hand. People, it's, it's, but they start laughing really, really hard because they saw it. Yeah. But I talked about it. So it's really in the moment comedy. Yeah. You know, you're you're you see it something that day that you know everybody saw, and I you can come stop, back and I just... I can't stop laughing, because technically, I really want to know what's it for. It's funny how... You should have asked, like, did anybody buy one of these fucking things? You know, what the hell are you going to use this for? <laughs> it, it's funny, because I'm going to guess, growing up in an Italian household, you had the same cadence, probably, with your parents. Your mother said something, you fired back with what you thought was funny. What you're doing now... Versus you as a little kid probably got you a lot of backhands. Oh, yeah. We used to get the shit knocked out of <laughs> You didn't go to Catholic grammar school, did you? I did, correct. Oh, yeah. So and you now, get the nuns that backhand you, pull your hair. Oh, real, yeah. yeah. And Remember the nun used to kick your ass? Oh, yeah. Oh, rulers across. I got, the, I got that. Rulers across that the That was knuckles. some serious shit. They should bring that back in the world. Yeah, you got that right. Bring that back. No, no. I, well, I got it. I can say I whenever I got the ruler, it was always for something that I did. One of them. The nun, for whatever reason, had a pair of underwear in her desk, and I pulled them out. Well, listen, I, I never didn't deserve getting hit by a nun, but I got hit a lot. But <laughs> think about that. So what got you a backhand when you were younger has served you well. So when you were a little kid and they told you, this is never going to get you anywhere, it's going on your permanent record, look at how well it served you. That's true, too. Comedy comes from your past, comes from your day-to-day, your -day, comes from real life. My original act was all about um, driving my mother around. My mother came from Italy. She never had a driver's license. She never worked a job. That's old Her school. job was to make sure the kids were fed. So um, I had to take her shopping. Mm. And my mother was a classic. She'd walk into a place and you'd wait in the car and she'd come back out and she goes, I got all the groceries that I needed. And I says, was your friend in there, the guy that owns the place? And my mother go, yeah, yeah, he was in there. I never liked him. I don't even like his kids, the sons of bitches that they are. <laughs> the next day, she'd be like, hey, how are you? Yeah, it's, a, it's a friend, yeah. That's going back to the friendly fire thing. Yeah. So that served that. Sometimes you find it in the weirdest places, your your vocation. And it sounds like this, is, this has just been a, a long journey for you. Now, I know in the comedy world, a lot of it is bringing people along, like Dice brought you along. You do that with comedians now? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of guys I've helped out 
I've helped them structure, helped them write, helped them get gigs. Comedians can get other comedians more work than an agent or a manager. It's just that sometimes most comedians are very undisciplined and they either just don't give back, they don't show up, who's got a problem, who's uh, unreliable. So you get to the point where you, you can throw your hands in the air and say, listen, I'll just do my own thing. In fact, I don't need a comedian. Give me three governors and a politician. <laughs> <laughs> but now you're doing a podcast. Yeah. And that seems to be the way of a lot of comedians. Is it, is it a good way to work out material? Is that what it's for? Or is it just you just getting around and bullshitting? I like bullshitting. I like having people on the show. I like uh, interacting with an audience all the time. So it gives you another outlet to interact with people. You know, when I was doing my podcast the other night and I had the actor on the show, people were writing in asking him questions. and We were giving back the answers. It's fun. It moves along very quickly. And uh, it's got to get- also sells tickets. People want to go to your website. They'll find out where you're performing. It's got to get you great and sharpen your tool, sharpen your skills as, at improv and that th- quick thinking that you need to be, have on stage. Well, when you guys were doing your Instagram live feed, you get people writing in from different parts of the country, maybe different parts of the, uh, the state. Um, one time I was doing the morning walk that I do, and mm-hmm. some girl wrote in from Ukraine. And now all of a sudden, it's, it's a conversation with everybody who's watching and me and the girl in Ukraine because they had the same questions I had. Right. Holy crap. <laughs> Are you all right? <laughs> What's it like? Are you near the bombing? And she started saying, first of all, she actually said this to me. You keep saying the Ukraine. It's just Ukraine. It's Ukraine. Yeah, it's Stop not saying the. And I said, okay. all right, I apologize. Ukraine. And she goes, we're in Poland. We left. And she started saying her whole story right there on Instagram. And everybody was watching. You didn't ask her if she was in the Poland, did you? No. <laughs> Are you in the Jersey? <laughs> but that's just weird because we don't say New Jersey. We just say Jersey. Jersey. We just say Jersey, right? But nobody ever says York. But we say we say the shore. I do, down well, the shore. When I was traveling and people asked me where I was from, it was when the Sopranos were being filmed. I'd say, I'm where the Sopranos are being filmed. And then, then all of a sudden the questions just flew out because – New Jersey, for as small as it is, has produced some of the greatest entertainers, some of the greatest films, some of the greatest actors, down the Musicians, line. everything. And, and well, I don't know. I'm not a Bruce Springsteen fan, sorry. No, yeah. Well, Frank Sinatra. Bon Jovi. Elvis came to New Jersey bon once. Yeah, and he never came back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why would he? That is, that's the sequel. That's, why would he? Uh, you, you've... So mentoring these young comedians, it's because somebody did it to you. Do you feel it's almost your duty? Because there's space out there for everybody. We say this with podcasting all the time. You know, I'm not in competition with your mother's basement. We're, we're different. We're, yes, we're all out there in the ether, but we're not in competition with each other. That's why I never have a problem promoting anything of anybody else's. Do you feel that same way with comedy, that there's space enough for everybody? Yeah, there is. There's room for everybody. Everybody's got a voice. Everybody could capture an audience. Sure, why not? And you would you would have that opportunity. Maybe you find that diamond in the rough, that one who's disciplined, that one who tries to craft like you. Recently, I think I did. It's a 23-year-old kid. He's coming to the show Saturday night, and I told him, just hang around with me. I'll introduce you to some people. I got him one show, and he stood in front of 300 people, and he did exactly what he was supposed to do. That's rare. Mm. And he was clean, made it about his family, introduced me. We all went home, made some money, and uh, I like the guy. Or give him John a, Franklin. Well, so. Give him a mention? John Franklin. John Franklin. Yeah. yeah we're going to have to take a look at him. Yeah. So where can we find you? Where can we? I know I'm right you, here. Yeah, well, you're right here. <laughs> right across the table. Uh, so you when you're me? not in your mother's basement. <laughs> all my social media is at Mike Marino Live on all social media platforms, even a TikTok thing. And my website's mikemarino.net. You still on MySpace? Nah, I wish I was. <laughs> You're friends with Tom, I know. Oh, you know, so we're, we're doing this thing at Grand Saloon. You heard a little bit about it on our Instagram Live. It's our two-year anniversary. Grand Saloon is actually one of our sponsors. It's a nice little family restaurant, family bar, pub. They have live music. They actually have comedians in from time to time. Nick has been very, very good for us. It's 940 Van Houten Avenue in Clifton, December 21st. I'm going to invite you there. 
just you're gonna you're gonna love it there. Not to perform, just December to be December twenty one. December yeah. twenty one. I'll be in New Jersey. You'll be in New Jersey. Hopefully, you can make it. I'll go. I love I love you. Yeah, the word saloon. Saloon. Oh yeah. Who even says saloon anymore? <laughs> Nick does. Nick. Nick from the Grand Saloon. Well, yeah. then I'll go. Yeah, Nick. Yeah, Nick's a good dude. Right in right for Christmas. That's what we're doing. We're trying to bring wow. people together for Christmas. Well, that's our two year anniversary. Yeah, it's our two year anniversary. Two year party. Yeah, a little bit of a party. What night of the week is it? It's I think it's on a Wednesday. Done. It, it's it's just going to be you know get people together. You know all of our 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 listeners and everything. We're inviting them all out. All former guests. We're going to get in. We're going to do you know maybe a little remote podcast from there. And it's actually going to coincide when this when this airs. You know we're saving you because December twenty one. December twenty one. Don't worry, I'll text. December twenty one. I'm going to be at what saloon? Grand, Grand saloon, saloon at the Grand Saloon in Clifton. Nine forty Van Houten Avenue. Nine forty Van Houten Avenue. <laughs> They got spam on the menu now. <laughs> spam slices. You get three. <laughs> they don't, they don't three, have spam three, in a can. They three. have the, the packet. Spam comes in a packet. <laughs> it used to come in a can because it was fresh. When it comes in a packet, it turns to green mold, but it tastes nicer. <laughs> I just did a commercial on your show. It's... <laughs> spam a lot. So what do you got coming up? Uh, well, hey. This Saturday night, November twenty sixth, at eight o'clock. It'll be after this show's aired, so. But you I'll be sh- there. You should have came to my show. <laughs> where, <laughs> where the fuck were you? Hey, why weren't you there? We had spam. Everybody who came got free spam. <laughs> three slices. <laughs> three slices. <laughs> a packet of spam, not a can. I'm actually looking forward to it. All my shows are at mikemarino.net. From now straight until twenty twenty. And we actually hooked you up with, um, you're doing something with Frontline Cigars, was it December? Yes, and you mentioned that just a little while yeah, ago. Yeah, so Frontline front Cigars is uh, Steve Boyk, he's out of Chicago. Yes, that's right, Steve. Yeah. I spoke to him on the phone. Oh, yeah. I called him from Puerto Rico. <laughs> I did, I was in Puerto Rico, it's free, <laughs> on a cell phone, and we were chit-chatting, he was talking about you know, the, the, the depression that he goes through, sure. and I was telling him about what I go through. And that we can't wait to meet and talk. And then I made him laugh because at that moment I was sitting in a restaurant in Puerto Rico and I was having a chicken burrito and a hen went walking by. A rooster. They have rooster. They just walk around on the street. You check his plumbing. That's so how you know it's I, a rooster. I said to him, I go, I feel a little bad right now. I'm actually having a chicken burrito and there's a rooster staring at me. <laughs> uh, I'm eating I'm like, his listen. cousin. I'm like, listen, uh, I used to eat spam. But... <laughs> I switched to burrito. <laughs> I'll go back to spam. <laughs> no, nah, Steve, Steve's a good dude. And and that's those those fortuitous relationship building skills. Because here's how it happened. Mike was doing an Instagram live. I always, whenever I see you doing a live, I always tune in. And you invite me on. And when I went on, uh, Steve had seen I went on with Mike, came in. And actually, Steve made a good joke. I said, yeah, Steve's a, Steve's a good friend of mine. He's, and Steve goes, he knows me. I don't know him. Which I thought was pretty funny. It was pretty qu- quick at the time. But that's those those relationship building skills, and that's probably served you well throughout your life. Um, now, you've done this for 30 years. You've had the highs. You've had the lows. It seems like more the highs than the lows, but I'm sure it was tough at some point. You've gone through some suffering, even though you, you make light of a lot of the suffering. What do you think it's taught you being a veteran comedian? Well... I know I'm never going to do anything uh, bad to my own self. Uh, I'm always going to do charities to let myself know that I have a great life. There's people out there that need help. Um, They need to laugh. You got to be grateful with what you have. Here's what I do do for myself daily. Um, no, we don't. This is a family-oriented show. Yeah. You know, don't, don't tell us. <laughs> I don't have any physical problems. My hands work. My feet work. I'm not aching. I'm not paining. As far as I know, my cholesterol is not bad. So I'm okay. So that I have. I have my health. And I know the value of that because I did have eight inches of my colon removed about eight years ago because I had a thing called diverticulitis. Diverticulitis. I got it. And I thought I was just going to die. I almost wanted to die. I'm like, just kill me. But since I don't have it no more, I realize, okay, man, because when I was sick, I said while I was in that hospital, if I ever get out of here, I'm never going to complain about anything again. 
And I ended up complaining about shit anyway. <laughs> the next day. <laughs> but here's something that happened recently. Now, I'll say this on your show. These people are coming Saturday night to the, sh- to the show. A woman sends me an email and says, how much do you charge to entertain at a wedding? And I says, well, be- between this much and this much, but it depends on where, when, and how. She goes, well, it's going to be on this particular Saturday night, and we know you're going to be in New Jersey. We know that you're going to be at this club that night. We're going to have a brunch. I said, you're having a brunch for a wedding? And she said, yeah, my husband has stage four brain cancer, and I need to get him on my insurance policy right away. And I said, how old is this man? She said, 30. And I go, I'm free. There will there'll be no charge. Why does this have to happen? You're on his bucket list. He can't wait to meet you. He doesn't know I'm doing this. He loves you so much that I think this is going to be really good for him. And his doctor gave him five years. So I says, okay, I'm bringing a singer. I'm bringing another comedian. I'm bringing the cake girl. Uh, Marianne. Marianne. She's going to bake a cake, and we got you covered free. Don't worry about nothing. I'm coming. And we went in there at 12 o'clock. We busted up this place. I had this guy laughing his ass off. I hugged him. I says, dude, what happened? And he goes, well, you know, this is what happened in my life, and the doctor diagnosed, and this, that, and the other thing. So I'm all happy that I got to do something for somebody that I'm saying to myself, look how lucky I am that I don't have brain cancer at 30 years old. Then the letters start coming. Thank you so much. I think you added two years to his life. And they're all coming to NJPAC. All of them. His friends. His, his Everybody that was at that wedding. I have no doubt in my mind that you put a couple years onto this guy because you made him forget about his problems. But when you do those things for other people, that's really, that's what gives you the perspective. Because you got to see the bad before you can appreciate the good. Mm-hmm. Like your success now. You only appreciate your success because there was a time when you weren't successful. Right. Right. And, and it's really paying it forward. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I, that, that, that's a great thing. On it, And it must be fulfilling to you. You know, like you said, you did it for free. You told them that you were going to do it. It had to be fulfilling for you to see smiles on these people's faces and knowing that you put the smile on their face. It's a, it's a little bit of a mind fuck. Am I really that big of a deal that I'm on your bucket list? <laughs> really? <laughs> I'll be right over. Yeah. But I ain't, on, know, I ain't on nobody's bucket list. It, I don't know. Right recently, I was on a plane, and uh, this lady was coming in for a landing, and she goes, I hope you don't mind, but um, I took your picture while you were sleeping. <laughs> I, go, I go, why would you do that? And she goes, my daughter's a really big fan, and I told her that you were here. And she's like, get his picture. And I go, well, why didn't you just take a picture while I'm awake? <laughs> and she goes, I don't want to bother you. And I go, this is hilarious. So now you got, you got this drool coming down your mouth. And- it's hilarious. So there's and a I- picture of you sleeping, floating around somewhere. <laughs> no, I said to her, miss, you could just take a picture with me. It's not that big of a deal. So we took a picture together. And as soon as we had the picture taken together, it makes other people in the airport go, oh, you know what? Could I get one too? And I, I start to go, do I have that face that I look like some kind of an asshole that I'm unapproachable? <laughs> Because could you people tell me maybe this is why I haven't had sex in quite some time? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm a single guy. Maybe I should walk around smiling a little bit more. I have to tell you, Mike, I I appreciate you coming in here. I thank you for coming in here. You are one of the most genuine guys I've met in a very, very long time, especially somebody of your status. Uh, You, 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 I don't want to say you earned the right to be an asshole, but there are plenty of people with your less famous than you. Who are absolute assholes, but that's not you. Who think they're bigger than they are. Yeah. This guy right here. Perfect example. <laughs> Mike, thanks for, so much Thank for coming Thank you for in. having me on the show. It, I it was it. great meeting you, man. This is great. This I is look lovely. forward to seeing you this right. weekend. Now, do I get spam? We'll, we'll get you. We'll hook you up with some spam. We get a nice little parting gift of spam. We'll, we'll bring it to the <laughs> show and start throwing them on the stage. <laughs> I've been spammed. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of the Suffering Podcast, the Suffering of a Veteran Comedian. Now, as always, let's think about what we learned. Sometimes a career finds you. Bombing can be a gift. Humor can be found everywhere, but most importantly, 
you got a life. And that's going to do it for this episode. Follow us on social media. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, LinkedIn. Don't forget, you can listen before you watch. Every episode comes out on Sunday and then Monday through Friday. Watch our new content. Follow Mike at Mike underscore Follow me at Real Kevin Donaldson. And of course, follow the Suffering Podcast. And we're going to see you on the next episode. 